On today's 51%, we speak with Miss New York USA about how beauty pageants can lift up young women. I never thought that I could be really anyone. And we'll hear from Miss Wisconsin Earth about how she's representing plus-size women on the stage in a time of changing attitudes about pageants. I'm really trying to show that women can feel confident and feel beautiful and empowered in the body that they're in. I'm Jackie Orchard, and this is 51%. Andrea is a public speaker who hosts self-esteem workshops for inner-city girls. 25-year-old Andrea Jabao is 2020's Miss New York USA. Jabao is also an immigrant from Cape Verde, a small collection of islands off the west coast of Senegal. The house that I lived in didn't have a roof. I went to school, you know, wearing the same pair of shoes all year um, and a backpack and notebook, and, like, that's all I really had. Yeah, I never really had a sense of, you know, like we didn't have magazines, we didn't have TVs. So I never thought that I could, you know, be successful. I never I never knew anything outside of, you know, the poverty that I was that I was living in. And of course, at that time, I didn't know that I lived in poverty because, uh, you know, I had nothing to compare it to um, up until I, you know, immigrated to the United States. Jabao speaks Portuguese, Cape Verdean Creole, Spanish and English. How would you say something like... All my lady friends. And how would you say something like, pageants are for everyone? Competition de beauty é para tudo Jabao was Miss Teen United States 2015 and Miss Earth USA 2017. She placed in the top 16 at Miss Earth in the Philippines. But Jabao says when she first came to the United States at age seven, living in Boston and feeling like an outsider, she was filled with self-loathing. Jabao has been in seven pageants now since her first at 19. She says it was pageants that first made her feel like she had worth. Andrea Jabao is your Miss New York USA 2020. I immigrated to this country not speaking English and having like a deep sense of self-hate because um, being not being from here, I, I never felt um, I never felt like I belonged. And growing up, I that was always something that I just strived to do. I always just strived to be like everybody else. Um, I spoke four languages since the age of uh, 10. And growing up, that was something I never talked about because, because I always thought that um, people would see that as me being different. And I never saw the, like, how that's a great thing that I that I have the ability to, to have. Um, and, and I found pride in that through pageants. Um, and of course, like, it changed my life in terms of my parents had never traveled really up until I, I started doing pageants and I won um, Miss Teen United States in 2015. So I was able to introduce my, my family to, you know, a whole new world um, and give them opportunities that they've never experienced. And that's been really cool for me. Jabao, who is Black, was elected at the height of the Black Lives Matter movement. She says using her title to fight racism was a scary decision to make. We get asked a lot of political questions right during interviews, but a lot of us tend to shy away from always talking about politics or always talking about things that are really hot and, and heavy um, because a lot of the times we're met with the, you know, this is not your place kind of thing or you're a title holder. Just talk about, you know, just the, the happy-go-lucky things. And so for me, I had to 
I had to really look within myself and be like, okay, Andrea, um, you have this title, you have this platform that you can talk about things that are going to make a difference. You can talk about things that you feel are important because people are listening. And I had to remind myself, like, okay, I'm also an immigrant. I'm a black woman. And, you know, in the middle of what's going on in America right now, I would be doing myself and my community such a disservice if I didn't talk about this, all of this. And so, of course, in the beginning, I was a little bit scared because I um, I didn't shy away from it at all. I spoke my truth, and, and I was very... Um, I was very present about it in, in all <laughs> topics of, of what was going on within the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, but I was met with um, people who were super empowered by it. I had written an article on Sway.com um, called uh, a, uh, An Open Letter to My Dear White Friends, um, which just talked about, you know, how to uh, navigate being, you know, a white friend of mine in this time that we're in. And I was super nervous about that article, but that article completely blew up. People were, like I said, they were empowered by it. They um, learned so much from it. And from from there, I was like, wow, like I just really saw the, the power that my platform has that I hadn't been able to really see before um, in that way. Here are the opening lines of Jabao's letter. To my white friends that have stayed silent during this fight for the fundamental reordering of society in which black lives matter, you may be silent, but I see you, I hear you, and I am hurt. Privilege is thinking something isn't a problem because it's not a problem for you. You've been posting your selfies, your breakfast, your dog, the beach, and your video diary about enjoying the slight reopening of your state. But to me, all I see is you pretending that there is no problem just because it doesn't affect you. Jabao says she had her doubts before her first pageant. Her only experience was watching the reality show Toddlers in Tiaras, which was not something she wanted to be involved in. I remember going back and watching... Um a former Miss Universe competition. And right away, I was like, okay, like, I don't look like these girls. Um, there's no way that I could possibly do such a thing. Jabao says every pageant is a little different. She talks me through the Miss USA, Miss Universe competitions. You're judged uh, in the swimsuit round, uh, which what they're really looking at is not necessarily, um, you know, how you necessarily look in a swimsuit. They're looking at how confident you are and if, you know, the body that you're presenting on stage, if it's healthy, if you're confident in it. We're also judged uh, in Evening Gown where they're judging your stage presence. They're judging, again, your confidence and your ability to just connect and, and be elegant on stage. And, uh, of course, the portion that nobody gets to see, right, which is um, closed-door interview. Um, we interview with the judges where they truly are able to figure out exactly who, who we are, what we want to do with the title. Um, and then the last portion is the onstage question, which, um, of course, is that, you know, moment that when one girl out of hundreds of girls that do so well, we have that one girl that, you know, maybe messes up and, and fumbles her question, and that's what ends up going viral. As someone who does not watch beauty pageants, I decided to look it up and see if the mistakes do, in fact, go viral. You might remember Miss South Carolina in 2007. People out there in our nation don't have maps, and uh, I believe that our ed education, like such as in South Africa and uh, the Iraq, everywhere like such as, and 
I believe that they should. Or in Miss USA 2013, Miss Utah's response. And how we are continuing to try to strive to figure out how to create jobs right now. That is the biggest problem. And I think especially the men are um, seen as the... Tons of these videos are posted online with animations and parodies and even comparison videos asking in bold red letters, who's dumber? Professor Hillary Levy Friedman says there's a reason why. People love to hate on pageant contestants because they don't get to see who the women really are or what they care about. Friedman teaches sociology in the education department at Brown University and wrote the book Here She Is, The Complicated Reign of the Beauty Pageant in America. Friedman's mom won Miss America in 1970, and Friedman has also been a judge in the Miss New Jersey pageant and Miss America's Outstanding Teen. Friedman says the interview portion lends substance to the competition that the audience usually doesn't see. And you don't know what happened to that interview room, and that's a 10-minute interview with a panel of judges, and that happens before you see anything on stage. So it does give you a different perspective. You get to read the applications, the essays, the paperwork that the contestants have submitted about what motivates them and their life experiences. And so that definitely changes people's perspective, including my own, but people who I've judged with who um, were not involved in the pageant world before, and you're like, okay, like, these young women have these issues that they're passionate about, and they're looking for a platform to um, express that to other people. Jabao says the competition people see on TV is just the tip of the iceberg. They don't get to follow what the winner, once the crown is placed on your head, they don't actually get to see what the girl is able to do with that title, that it's not just about looking pretty, that you're actually having such a big impact on other people and, and in your community. Jabao says for months leading up to a competition, she has to study current events and absorb news like a sponge to get ready for one interview. I would be listening to The Daily, um, which is a podcast from The New York Times that is it happens every day and it just kind of um, goes into a specific topic. And then after that, I would read the skim. Um, and then throughout the day, I would I literally have like notifications for CNN, for Fox or any media um, news outlet you could possibly think of uh, because I wanted to get not just, you know, things that I believe in, but also things to challenge my opinion because that's really how you grow and not, that's also how I'm able to connect with all kinds of people. Um, and then from there, uh, I would have uh, like mock interviews with um, my interview coaches. Jabao says education was part of her platform, so the judges asked how she felt about kids having to take classes online during the pandemic and how that can impact them. They also asked her about disparities that exist in education. Friedman says she doesn't understand why those parts aren't aired because she thinks it would be good for ratings. As a sociology professor, she's studied how TV shows become phenomena. Part of the reason a show like American Idol, for example, became so successful and still continues to be successful is that you get to know those contestants and you're along for their journey and you get a backstory. And I think that's something, you know, I, I say Miss America is really the first reality TV show um, back in the 1950s when it started airing on television. It takes someone who no one knew before and makes them into a celebrity overnight. But the way the pageant has been broadcast and some of the other pageants like Miss USA, for example, you don't get to form that connection. 
Jabao says one question the pageant judges always ask, why do you want to win? Her answer went something like this. I grew up in, in poverty. I grew up um, in an inner city. And um, I never thought that I could be really anyone. I never thought myself represented um, in the media. I never thought myself represented in people who were really successful. Um, and because I grew up in an inner, inner city, I never had the opportunities that other kids had, um, whether it was you know, just extracurricular activities, um, or even simply just the books that we got in school, like the books that I got were always torn up and um, had marks in them. And because of all of that, I just never, for me, could envision a life bigger than myself. And so one of the biggest reasons why I compete um, is to show other young girls out there that have a similar background that I that I do, that no, you can make it that who you are, I mean, necessarily where you come from, um, who your parents are uh, doesn't always have to dictate where you can end up in life. Um, and for me, having the platform of Miss USA, of Miss New York USA, I'm able to connect with so many people. I'm able to have a microphone and talk about, you know, something that I find so important and have people actually listen to it and care about it um, that I wouldn't have had in any other circumstance. Jabao says pageants have given her the opportunity to travel the world and reach out to young women who may feel hopeless. From the age of 19 to now, um, working with the different organizations that I've worked with, including Best Buddies, Special Olympics, um, I'm now an ambassador for New York Cares. I've helped raise over $75,000 just me alone. That's not even, you know, all the other women that um, also compete and and um, are ambassadors for different organizations. Um, I have my more than enough workshops that I do um, that focuses on empowering inner city girls and boys specifically um, and equipping them with resources and networking opportunities. Um, one of the uh, mentees that I have from the organization, um, my organization, she was just able to get a full ride scholarship um, to college. And she's going to be the first person in her family to attend a four year university. Um, and so that's kind of the impact that I've had on other people. And it's because I, I have, in a, in a way, have had a crown placed on my head. Um, it's become so much more than that. It's symbolic of so much more. Did you ever see such a beautiful dress? And look, glass slippers. Why, it's like a dream, a wonderful dream come true. In the same way that little kids love to meet the princesses at Disneyland, Jabao says the sparkly crown may be what gets a little girl's attention, but then she uses that to motivate them. Kids have a, an impression of, you know, princesses and all of this stuff. And of course, that's not, you know, what we're, what we're wanting them to take away from us. We're not wanting them to just kind of see us as a princess or a little queen. Um, but of course, that does uh, grab their attention. And so then for us, we, use, we just use that, uh, that opportunity um, to make it so much more than that, um, to kind of, you know, talk to them and, and uplift them and um, share with them things that they can actually hold on to, things that will um, make them a better person, things that they can um, really take with and, and grow with in, in the most positive way possible. A common criticism of beauty pageants is that they damage body positivity efforts and they kind of make women feel like their worth lies in how thin they are, how beautiful right. they can look. Um, and so it's been said that pageants lead to like body dissatisfaction and even eating disorders and depression. So what do you say to those criticisms? What do you wish people knew? You have to look at the history of pageants um, because a good portion of, you know, what pageants have 
it's always been in the past and what people are so used to is when pageants were really run by men. And so because of that, they were sexualized in a way. And so it became really just about how the woman looked um, because that's what the men um, made pageants perceived to be. There aren't really beauty pageants for men, but there is something else. Friedman says the NFL is a form of hyper-masculinity. And you could say that pageants are a form of hyper-femininity. Men have been able to use athletics, for example, as a pathway to power in all sorts of ways, whether that's in the business world or in politics, for example. Friedman taught a class called Sports in American Society at Brown and remembers showing the class a Sports Illustrated cover story. Who's the most handsome quarterback or who are the most handsome NFL players? She asked, imagine if they did this for female athletes. We're coming up on the 50th anniversary of Title IX, um, and that has changed so much. And as those opportunities have been created and opened up for women, participation in pageants has gone down. And I think that makes sense, right? And that's a good thing because women have so many more options. You know, in the 1950s, there were not as many opportunities. Now there are. And all of those pathways to power need to be explored for women. Jabao says pageants are opening up in all sorts of ways. If anything, I think pageants are way more accepting about different body types and different types of women than the modeling industry. Um, You know, nowadays, you're not just seeing the, you know, one size kind of woman. You're seeing women that is a size double zero on the same stage as a woman who is a size 12, a size 16. Please welcome Wisconsin, Emma Loney. One of those women is plus-size model Emma Loney, Miss Wisconsin Earth, USA. The 24-year-old started doing pageants at 16. She's been in 15 pageants and held six state titles. She says the people who watch beauty pageants typically don't want to see a plus-size woman on stage. And that made her want to do it even more. Being a plus-size title holder, there's not a lot of women that look like me that come see in pageantry especially in these bigger systems. There isn't that representation of different body types. So for me specifically, I'm really trying to show that women can feel confident and feel beautiful and empowered in the body that they're in, and they don't have to change themselves in order to feel beautiful and conform to those societal norms and expectations that I myself grew up facing. Loney says pageants are a way for women to grow their confidence. When I was younger... Um, I was constantly told by a parent that I was overweight, I needed to change myself, no one's ever going to like me looking like this, I'll never find love, Um, I won't be able to do the career I want to do, the list goes on. Um, I was constantly being told that. And it was really hard, especially when there is someone that's, you know, older than you, that's a parent figure, that's telling you those things, Um, as well as school, school. sometimes being told like here underneath people's breath or comments or rumors the you know it comes to middle school like you said um but into high school of people just saying like you're not good enough for the simple fact that you're bigger um and I did let that get to me um I tried to lose a lot of weight in a fairly unhealthy way 
Loney says when she first started competing in pageants, she thought she needed to change herself to win. But she says when she lost weight, she was miserable. Just continued to nitpick everything about myself. Didn't feel confident, didn't feel happy. And I said, you know what, like, this is what you look like. This is what's going to be healthy for you if you want to continue to be in pageantry and show up as your most most authentic self. You need to do that. Um, And if that's not something pageantry wants, that's fine. But you're going to be so much happier in the long run if you're representing who you are and not trying to conform to everybody else. So now sitting here today, uh, looking back at everything that I've gone through, I wish I had this same sense of it's okay to look like this. It's okay to be healthy and not look like other people I'm competing against or other people just in the world. Um, You can be different and you can feel beautiful. And I just, even though I weigh more than I did years ago, I feel so much more confident today. Loni's first year of college, her sister was hospitalized for an eating disorder. That was only about a year after I had myself lost a bunch of weight, pretty unhealthy. And seeing my sister almost starve herself to death was, absolutely heartbreaking and I knew that I needed to not only educate myself but educate other people about the severity of eating disorders and how dangerous they are. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, anorexia has the highest death rate of any mental disorder. People with anorexia usually die from medical conditions and complications associated with starvation. And by comparison, people with other eating disorders usually die of suicide. I always did battle with food growing up. I would see my friends eating, you know, cookies, snacks, whatever. I was a varsity cheerleader. Everyone would have snacks all the time after practice. And because I was bigger, I felt like if I'm seen eating this food, like, that's going to be like, oh, that's why she's big or that's why she's plus size because she's eating junk food, even though my friends that were smaller were eating a lot of it. And I think we just have like such a negative connotation with anybody that's bigger eating food that is considered unhealthy, even if a skinny person is eating it because just because we're bigger like that. Oh, that's the reason they're, they're big. I tell Loni that I remember the year I went through puberty and got hips. I hated my body. I wanted to be stick-thin, narrow like the runway models I saw on TV. That all changed for me when Beyonce got popular and celebrated her muscular thighs and curves. All it takes is one person to be that representation and show a country or world of women oh, this actually is okay. Like, it's okay I look like this. And teaching young girls that it's they don't need to hate themselves in a world where we were taught to hate all of these changes and all of these things that our bodies are doing just because we were female and it's toxic. But Loni says even with the body positivity movement in the U.S., pageantry is lagging behind. She says there are many plus-sized models, and every brand has a sort of plus-size inclusion with extended sizing. But... There still has yet to be a plus-sized woman compete at Miss USA, and 
that's what I am hoping to be one day. I would love to be the first plus size woman to compete at Miss USA. Um, and I really think putting a plus size woman on that large of a pageant stage would make the statement that shows young girls that, okay, like this body can be accepted too. It's okay if I look like this too. Loney says there is hope. She says she just competed at Miss Earth USA and placed in the top 12. She says that means the judges saw her as more than just a plus-size person. They saw her as a contender, intelligent, and not just a body. She says after competitions, women come up to her and thank her just for being there, because it makes them feel represented as beautiful, no matter their size. Loni says there are parts about pageants where her self-esteem definitely takes a hit, like the sideways glances she sometimes gets from other contestants backstage, or when she sees she scored perfectly on the interview but low in swimsuit. But she says it's still worth it. She's built lasting friendships and found a power in herself, despite pageants not being very inclusive. I find it really just empowering to challenge that, to be different and show up and say, you know what, like, we need this. I know that it hurts sometimes. I know that it's hard sometimes. But being able to try to be the change that I want to see is really empowering for myself. Loney started competing in Wisconsin, but is now in law school at Northern Illinois University. Loney says being an agent of change is why she's studying to be a lawyer. She has a bachelor's degree in criminal justice and psychology, and she wants to specialize in criminal law. She plans to be on the Supreme Court one day. Now, we can't talk about feminism and beauty pageants without talking about the elephant in the room. Or rather, the bikini and five-inch heels in the room. Miss America has nixed the swimsuit competition, while other organizations are keeping it. Jabao says the swimsuits should stay. I think we should 100% always keep it because um, it's so exhilarating. We To get to that moment of being on stage in a swimsuit in front of hundreds of people is a level of confidence that not many people have. You know, there's I can tell some, I, I, I'm pretty sure I can just, um, for someone who's not as confident, I'd be like, hey, like, put on a swimsuit and get up on stage and have everybody look at you. Um, not many people would probably be up for that. Um, and, you know, I think that, like I said, so many things come from, like, a really young age in terms of how people think. Um, growing up in school, like, girls are routinely criticized and, you know, pulled out of class sometimes because their skirt is too short or their bra is visible or, you know, they can't show their shoulders. Um but we never expect the same from, from men. And um, a lot of the times the people who do say that are coming from men. And so it's just kind of like us being on stage in a swimsuit. We are taking back that power of making that decision for ourselves because it makes us feel good and we see nothing wrong with that. Loni agrees. She says swimsuit is her favorite event. I have no issue competing in swimsuit. And that's, people are often surprised by that because I'm considered a plus size contestant that okay wouldn't you be like terrified to compete in swimsuit but no I love swimsuit I love being on stage in swimsuit I love modeling swimwear um I've shot with a lot of swimsuit brands I love it 
Loney says what needs to change is how the swimsuit competition is judged. She says it should be about more than just how fit a woman looks, but how she feels in her own body. A person can be extremely thin and fit that stereotypical view of fit and healthy, but be extremely unhealthy. Just like a person can be plus size and be considered and viewed as extremely unhealthy, that person could be very healthy. Friedman says more competitions are shifting toward a fitness competition where the contestants do a workout on stage. For example, Miss Teen USA does not have a swimsuit competition. They have fitness competition. Um, Miss Earth and Miss World have like actual obstacle courses. Um, what used to be known as America's Junior Miss, now called Distinguished Young Woman, the contestants do a fitness routine on stage, like jumping jacks and planks and all of those things. So I think a focus on what the body is capable of doing rather than just how it looks is an interesting move, but it still matters how you look, right? Like there's just no question about that. Friedman says you can change pageants to an extent, but we should support a woman's choice to love all parts of a pageant and to want to show off. There are going to be people who say, but, you know, this is what I love. I, I love the rhinestones. I love the glitz and glamour. I love the pretty dresses and all the other things like community service and talent that come with it. And that's an okay choice, too, right? Like, if we're thinking about feminism, to me, feminism is being able to have all the options open to you and pursue, like, what you are most interested in. No matter the changes they might undergo, Friedman says pageants are here to stay. Miss America is celebrating its 100th anniversary. There are not that many cultural, pop culture, or institutions in the United States that have been around for that long, you know, older than the Super Bowl, the Academy Awards, all kinds of things. But without some changes, I worry about what that long-term picture looks like. Jabao says pageants have a lot to offer the country because women are getting bolder by the day, and she says pageants can reflect that. Women are starting to be more unapologetically themselves. Women are finally starting to take back power and their bodies, who they are, who they want to be, um, and, you know, on all different levels of their life, whether it's career or personal lives. Um, I think pageants are a great mirror to that. When we're talking about where we see pageants going, it's been that. It's been celebrating all kinds of women. And I hope that, you know, we tend to, going forward, we see pageants more of the platform that it actually is than just seeing the pageants for it being the physical beauty of these women on stages. In June, if Loney wins Miss Illinois, she goes on to Miss USA, which has never had a plus-size winner. But even if pageants don't change a thing, if they all keep the swimsuit competition but refuse to air the interviews where the women talk about social justice issues, if pageants still only show about one plus-size woman per competition and she never wins, if we never hear an openly gay or trans woman speaking about fighting for LGBTQ rights, and if we never see a woman in a wheelchair sparkling in an evening gown, and women still want to do these pageants, well, women have had so few avenues to financial success. Can we really fault them for using the tools they were given to grab some power? I was standing around like one of those girls I had seen in a movie. The whole world was a movie back then.
Thanks for joining us for this week's 51%. Thanks to our story editor, Ian Pickus. Thanks to Tina Rennick for production assistance. Our executive producer is Dr. Alan Shartok. Our theme music is Lolita by Albany-based artist Girl Blue. 51% is a national production of Northeast Public Radio. If you'd like to hear this episode again or share it with your friends, sign up for our podcast or visit wamc.org. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at 51% Radio. I'm your host, Jackie Orchard. Until next week, remember, the future is fearless. Feeling a certain kind of wise at 17 Thinking the flare on the lens was the real thing She was with her boyfriend in the back room I was chain smoking cigarettes and looking at the moon Thought I was really in it I didn't really get it I lost my cool somewhere around the bed It started Just come on down.